Straight out of Philly, this is the Year of Desolation Holiday Extravaganza. Year of Desolation! That's right. Not to be confused with the Tony Danza uh, tap dance extravaganza. Cause, and now I've just lost half the audience because <laughs> nobody knows that grindcore reference. But that's okay. So, I am joined once again by the ever-lovely, the always brilliant, Simpre Bellissima, Dr. Emanuela Sani. How you doing? She's back! Mm-hmm. After... One year of missing, or I don't know what month, how long it was. I forget last time I've had It was a show. long time ago. It was, we were still in Scotland. Now we're, we crossed the ocean. Yes, we are across the pond. Across the pond. All the way across the pond. Yes, it's very exciting being here in Philadelphia. Philly, the, the birthplace of America, birthplace of liberty. Yes, and it's funny enough, we're living literally one block away from the Liberty Bell. Mm-hmm. So I can feel the freedom. You can feel <laughs> This thing that Ryan keeps telling me about is real. Yes, it's real. We're right next to the uh, Independence Hall where the Declaration of Independence was signed. So, yeah, so we're feeling very American, feeling very, very free, more free than we've ever been in our lives. Yes, I can tell you that You much. can You can feel the freedom. Oh, my God, yeah. Every we're, single minute, it's going through my veins. Constant <laughs> liberty just throwing, just flowing through our veins. But anyway, so what we're going to do for this holiday special, this, uh, this to celebrate the Year of Desolation speaking tour that is now over, uh, we're going to open up the, the listener, the mailbag, and address a bunch of listener questions. So, uh, Emma, go ahead and uh, ask the first question for us. We have so many questions between Facebook and Twitter. I could not believe how many people want us to know more about us. It's not just about theology. So, um, yeah, let's start it. Question number one. What all have you been in on the Year of Desolation speaking tour? So, this Year of Desolation, uh, it's taken me to North Carolina, where I went to the, uh, the first... Uh, an annual Carolina Analytic Theology Conference. Uh, the two Carolinas. The two Carolinas, because it will go yes. back and forth between them, from what I understand. I've been to one of them. I cannot remember which one. You went, I'm so sorry. You went, wait, I forgot which one you went to now. You went to Duke. No. Something called Rayleigh, which I Raleigh. had to ask you how to pronounce that. Raleigh. Because yes, I Raleigh. was very confused. Yeah, you went to Raleigh. That's fine. Oh, Raleigh. Mm-hmm. There you go. And you're doing bi- some biology stuff there. So, yes, we've both been doing... Emma didn't have a cool title for her for her tour. No, it was very lame. No, but I always come up with I, I always come up with titles for all the jobs I've had, and and then, but only some people know them. And then the speaking tours, I usually come up with some a ridiculous title for them. But this time, actually, since people actually are following me, I, I can call it things like the Year of Desolation. So yeah, so I went to North Carolina for the first Carolina Analytic Theology Conference. Then I went to New Jersey. Whoa, where all the Italians are. All the, exactly, all Barney. the Italians. The, the armpit of, of, of uh, New York. I went to New Jersey. <laughs> it's full of Italians. Full of Italians. So lots, of, lots of Italians there, uh, Italian-Americans, for a God in Space Time seminar, where I hung out with a bunch of philosophers and physicists and whatnot for a couple of weeks. Then I went to Cambridge. So I went all the way uh, back to the UK, went to England, uh, for this r- brilliant uh, Muslim epistemology workshop. Nice. And that was really good. And then I had to go back to Finland for a bit for uh, for Samsa Corpola's Viva, uh, which was also on God in Space Time, uh, which was brilliant. It was very good. And the, the Finnish traditions that you have to do for a PhD dissertation defense are ridiculous, and I love it. So, like, there's, it was very formal. I had to wear a very formal gown. Uh, yes, everything. yes. We had to go and fetch Ryan a dress for that. <laughs> yeah, because <we laughs> I had to get a nice new suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I was, it was either that or I was going to have to rent a tux. But since I was going to be gone for an entire month, I couldn't just like rent a tux because right after that I had to go to Italy. So, yeah, so Samsa, if you're listening, I had to buy an entire new suit just for your Viva. There you uh, go. Yeah. He <laughs> was very committed. I was very committed to this thing. <laughs> yeah, and so it was great. And then while I was there, uh, my friend Larry, who he's going to be on the show later, uh, we he teaches at a Bible college in Helsinki. And so we asked if I could speak uh, at, his, at his college on God and emotion. And so that was fine. It was easy to do. And but it was I realized it was the first time I gave a talk in in Finland where somebody needed to translate into Finnish for me because usually everybody's English is quite good, but Larry yes. was like, uh, you know, this some of these people I, I should translate for them. And so was, there was various times where I'd be saying something and Larry would, you know, just translate and it was about the same amount of time that I spoke. And there's a few other times where 
he spoke for a really long time. And I'm like, Larry, what did you say? And he's like, oh, I've read all your stuff, so I already knew what you were going to say. So I went ahead and explained all this, everything. So he went ahead and, like, told the audience everything I was about to say for the next five minutes. And I'm like, well, then what am I supposed to do, you know? Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't help. So, yeah, so it was, it was, that was loads of fun. That was loads of fun. So then after Finland, I got to go to Sicily. So I flew straight yes, from Finland to all Sicily. all the way down to Sicily, mm-hmm. which was amazing. Was so I got good. to go with Ryan, and it was really, really cool. It was great. So it was the, it was the kickstart of this brand-new master's program at the University of Lucerne. I've mentioned a few times on the show. Uh, so the University of Lucerne has this brand new master's program in philosophy, theology, and religions, and uh, we're going to be doing this summer school for all the new students, so that way they can start, kind of kickstart their program, where you get a chance to meet all the professors, you get a chance to meet some of your fellow classmates, and oh my gosh, so so we were so running around in Sicily, and we're doing uh, these debates each night. So we've got different debates each night. So we've got in all a these... a very cool location. Very cool location. Really, so, really amazing. It's just like you can touch history everywhere. Yes. It's so awesome. And that was something I... I mean, okay. Every time you take me to Italy, I always know... Me and Ryan went to Italy quite a lot. Yeah. So I always know, like... me being Italian. So. Yeah. I always know there's going to be, like, some cool history, but this... This was a... It was Another on a different level. scale. It was, because uh, Giovanni Ventimiglia, the, the guy who's running this whole program, he is Sicilian, so he, he knows everybody there. And so he set us up with these debate. We had a debate each night between the different professors uh, who were part of this program. And we, the location changed each night. So one night it's in the Botanic Garden. Next night it's in some like underground secret uh, art gallery. Uh, and then another night it's in a palace. So that's where uh, David Anzalone and I uh, did, did our debate on God and emotion in, in, in the palace of, was it not, I was going to say Lanzarote. That's not right. What, what was the Duchess of? I cannot remember. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry for the See, Duchess. I, well, this is the thing. is, is it, Italians, they don't care about the, the royalty well, anymore. Well, we don't have a... You know, for historical reason, we got rid of our monarchy many, many years ago. <laughs> so it's a different feeling about monarchy that probably British people have. I, I guess, whereas for me as an American, I still just think this is a fairy tale. And I keep telling Ryan that most of the world actually is not a Republican, but a monarchy. But it doesn't go through him. But it's fine, it's fine, it's well, fine. You know, because... Fairy like, tale, whatever. I bleed red, white, and blue. So... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> anyway, so yes, yeah, so we got to kickstart the brand new program. And then Em and I, we stayed in Sicily for a few extra days after that. Oh, it was beautiful. Because why yeah. not? I mean, I mean, yeah, it was summer. It was just fantastic. And yeah, I was not being in Sicily for like 15 years or something. I think you told me last time you were there, it was like you were when you were 15 or 16, mm-hmm. something like that. I was very young. And I, and I remember I has really, really good memory of Palermo. It's a beautiful, beautiful city. So when Ryan told me I'm going to be there, I'm like, yes, I'm coming with you. <laughs> so yeah, that was brilliant. I loved meeting all the students, meeting all the professors I'm going to be working with. Oh yeah, I came like the last night of your debate. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet the students there. And my God, I was really, really impressed. They were really motivated and very excited had really good exchange with them. Um, that that was such a cool night. I'm glad I was part of that. That was that was loads of fun. So yeah. So yeah. So this was a really good trip to Sicily, and then after that we went up north uh, to northern Italy to see Emma's family. Yeah. Uh, so there wasn't really any speaking there. Nah, that was just like for leisure. Yes, but while I was while I was in Sicily though, I had to give a talk at the annual God and Time workshop that was in Dublin. It was in Ireland that year, and then I also had to give a talk at the um, in Tehran, so in Iran, for this uh, Islamic uh, summer school in philosophy of religion, but. I had to do that all all over Zoom while I was in Sicily. So I'm just sitting there in my uh, hotel room, speaking in Ireland and then speaking in Iran, and then go back to uh, doing all these debates and stuff in Italy. So then after that, I went pretty to awesome, it was it was pretty cool though because I, <laughs> I was gutted though that I didn't get to go to Dublin because the God and Time workshop I've been to every single one. Oh my God, Ryan keep bragging about this workshop as the best thing ever. It is. I've met the best people uh, from the, through the society. And I believe that, honestly. I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, so many good things have come out of it. So I was very gutted that I couldn't be there in person. And there was really cool people that were there that I got to see in the room. Um, but yeah, yeah. But next year. And then and then I ran. Uh, I've done this 
the University of Sharif. I've done uh, a winter school and then a summer school with them. And they keep getting really, like, really cool people to be a part of the summer school. And they translate all my stuff into Persian so that way all the students can read. And the students ask, that's such really sharp, like, cutting questions. Really, really bright. I have been deeply impressed every single time I've done this. Uh, and then, so after that, then we came back to America for a bit and chilled for a while. Then I went to Germany for the first uh, God in Emotion workshop that I'm going to be a part of for the next three years. So we go into Berlin twice a year uh, for the God in Emotion workshop that Hartmut von Sass is, is, is organizing. Then I went to Tennessee and I got to hang out with uh, Matthew Badorf and Roger Turner because Matthew was able to get a little bit, of, little bit of money to bring me out to Tennessee so I could speak on God and emotion, and I was able to do my Is God a Psychopath stand-up show that, that, that Emma and I had created. That's uh, such a good show. We should, we should make a video about that. We should we do a really video at should. some point. We really should. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> so it was this brilliant stand-up show that... We did at the Fringe Festival yeah, so in Edinburgh in 2020. No, 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 it was 2019. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was, that, that's right. It was the, re, the year just before the just pandemic. Just before the pandemic. Yes. Yeah, and so we created a really brilliant stand-up comedy show where I take the audience through all sorts of different arguments about God and emotion and different models of God, but with lots of humor and sarcasm and, you know, it is all the things that I love to do. Uh, so it was great to be able to do that show again because I hadn't done it in a while. Well, I hadn't done it since 2019, and I just thought while well, I'm in Tennessee, why not? Why not? Why not just try this out again and see how this goes? And it was great. Like it was a huge room, like uh, like big audience, and just constant audience participation for about an hour and a half, just like nonstop. So I loved it. It was it was so much fun. Uh, and then after that, I went to Florida. So I went to Palm Beach Atlantic University. Mm-hmm. So it was the first time seeing cam- the, the campus is where I'll, where I'll be working. Yeah, because Ryan is going to be visiting professor there. Mm-hmm. He's going to do um, one week intense course in January every year. Yeah. So, so Palm Beach has these intensive courses. So if you join the master's in philosophy program there, they bring in a bunch of different different professors like J.P. Moreland and me. So you can tell which one's the bigger name, uh, me and J.P. Moreland. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, sure, they can tell you apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but, you know, we're on the same level, like clearly. Like, uh, uh, so, so they bring they bring us down to do these intensive week long courses, and then there's like some seminars and stuff later and on. I we do got this. to go there. Yeah, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, so it's <laughs> it's really gorgeous campus. I love seeing it. It was for this apologetics conference, and so I got to speak on the coherence of theism. I got to meet several people in person that I had not met before. So I got to see uh, like Parker Setakas, uh, or Setakaze is how he should say his name. I'm not gonna comment on that, Parker. Mm-hmm. I really love you, but. You cannot pronounce your surname, which is deeply <laughs> sad in me. <laughs> poor Parker, poor Parker. It's all right. So, so I love after, you, Parker. So after I gave my talk, because uh, Parker was giving a talk at the same time, he asked me how it went, and I was like, you know, I was doing my talk on the coherence of theism, and, and he was like, so is it incoherent or coherent? And I was like, it's coherent, it's coherent. You know, I had the audience going for a little bit, weren't certain, but, you know, eventually he showed them it was coherent, and he's like, all right, we did it, yay, you know, and we high-fived each other, so, <laughs> so it was good. So Florida was a good, good successful trip. And then, then you have a short trip to New York. Then I went to New York after that, that's right. So yeah, I just went to New York, uh, so I'm going to be in this book called uh, Divine Simplicity, Five Views. So it's going to be me, uh, W. Matthews Grant, uh, Catherine Rogers, uh, Oliver Crisp and Josh Blander. Josh Blander is a Dun Scotus scholar, uh, and so he has this medieval seminar, medieval philosophy seminar that he does uh, in New York City at the university he works at. And so he asked me to come up uh, if I if I could lead uh, the seminar one week. And so I did a three hour seminar presenting my the paper I'm going to do for this five five views book. And that was really good. And I got to see uh, Drew Johnson, who works there as well. Uh, Drew and I used to work at uh, St. Andrews for a bit together. So, so yeah, it was, it was really cool hanging out with Josh and, and Drew. And then we went to Scotland. I wasn't speaking in Scotland. We just needed to see some friends. And then came back. And then I had to give a talk in Israel for their criminology department. That was a very interesting thing. Right? That was very unusual. It was very cool. So one of my students at Lucerne is in the middle of a PhD program in uh, criminology. And so she asked if I could give a talk on God, evil, and mental health for uh, for her her research cohort. So I got to give a talk there. It was really good. It was loads of fun. So those are 
you know, some of the places I've been on this year of desolation speaking to her. So I've been all over the world and then a bit around the U.S. as well. So, yeah. There we go. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> oh, man. We spent a lot of time on question number one. And yeah. we have a lot of questions to march through. Um, so the second question is from Curtis. Curtis asking, what holiday traditions do each other... No, sorry. Do each find enjoyable or strange from others' family? Okay, so for me, I like this tradition that the Imma's family has. It's super weird, though. So in Italy... It's not weird. It's, it's super weird. So they've got this 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 witch named Bifania. No, Bifana. Bifana, okay. The day they will pronounce that name right. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> so you're going to need to explain Bifana to, to everybody. Well, okay. So, for the 6th of January, that will be the Epiphany. The Epiphany, the 12th day of Christmas. Yes. Uh, Which no one in America knows other than the song. Well, anyway, in Italy, traditionally, we won't celebrate Christmas. We will celebrate the arrival of the the wise wise uh, men on the 6th of January. They will bring the gift to baby Jesus. And so for that, I don't know, here the tradition mixed up with the folklore as well. For some reason, that day you're going to have a witch that goes around the chimney. uh, And if you've been a good boy, you're going to get candy from the witch. Um, But she's not really a witch. She's more of an old woman just swimming the sky with a broom. I know, it's just... She's not a witch, but she's a woman with a wart on her nose and she flies on a broom. There you go. It's just an ugly woman and everybody like... (laughs) Tell her that she's a witch, but she's really not. And just giving sweet candies to good children and uh, charcoal to bad kids. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know why Ryan Fan is so amusing. So what you would do, you would put a stocking on the night before, and then the day after you would f- find a fill of candies. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's great. And we never had like Christmas before Coca-Cola got... The idea of having yeah. Santa Claus. Yeah. <laughs> Just leave it to a Finnish American to exactly. create a new holiday. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> it's good stuff. For me, the tradition that I find really amusing is uh, finding the pickle in the Christmas trees. Mm-hmm. Maybe Ryan can explain this better. <laughs> I, okay. So, I learned this tradition from my grandmother. She had this ornament in the shape of a pickle. And she would hide it on the tree, and then all the grandkids, we'd all have to go look for the pickle. Whoever found the pickle first would be allowed to open your gift first. And then we discovered recently, that one of the last times we went home for Christmas, okay, so I guess it was last year. Yes. The Indianapolis uh, Historical Society had this huge display of all these different trees, Christmas trees. And they had pickles hidden throughout all the Christmas displays. And it turns out it's this weird German-American tradition that dates back I don't know how long. So I have no idea where my grandmother picked this up because we don't, we're not German at all. Um, so no idea. But yeah, pickles hiding on a tree. It's just so cool. It is cool. I like it. I like it. I like everything like hide and seek and type of stuff and you have to look for things. Yeah. I'm always up for a challenge. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Next question. Next question is um, Anthony is asking, what's your take on baby metal? Baby Metal. So when Baby Metal first came out, uh, so there are a Japanese, uh, a couple Japanese girls who are in this metal band. I, I found okay. I'll be. I just found it annoying to be honest. But they have matured uh, as they've aged. They've matured and their music has matured. And so there, I was listening to some of their songs the other day to get, to try to think about this question because I hadn't thought about them in years. And they they sound like an actual proper band now instead of just a yeah. Gimmick. They got better. Yeah, because yeah. I just thought they were a gimmick before, but now they sound like a real band. Yeah, I like them. There you go. In moderation. In moderation. <laughs> yeah, the one the one song was enough for you. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, I love the outfit though. Yeah, yeah the outfit was pretty awesome. It's cool. It's a cool look. All right, next question. Paul is asking: Are there certain emotions that God does not feel? Annoyance, lust, and could could God God get the giggles? So, so um, this is actually something I'm looking at in uh, a, a book I'm writing called A Little Book About a Big God, because I didn't get to explore all this sort of stuff in the first book, God and Emotions. Uh, and so I, I want to say that there are certain emotions that God cannot cannot properly feel himself. 
lust would be one of them. Annoyance. I feel like God could get annoyed. I'm sure there's definitely times God's going to get annoyed. Absolutely. And I feel like giggles, I, I, I would think there's various points where all the bizarre creatures God's created, they're probably doing something ridiculous that that's going to give God the giggles, I would think. But one of the things I want to, I want to point out in the new book is uh, moods. I don't think God can have moods because moods are different from emotions because emotions are always a, a felt evaluation about your situation. They're like very about specific things in your, uh, in your situation. Whereas moods are about everything and also about nothing. And so you're just kind of like, you're just mad at the world or you're just sad about everything or you're happy about everything and also but nothing. So they don't have like a very clear target. And so a lot of philosophers emotion will say that moods are, they're not irrational, they are non-rational. And they can lead to you having unjustified emotions. And so I want to say that all of God's emotions are going to be perfectly good and perfectly rational. So moods, I think that it's just going to have to rule those out. Like God's not going to have moods. Uh, which is which is nice because you're not going to get to heaven and, and you're not going to have St. Peter pull you aside and be like, just so you know, God's in a bad mood right now. Uh, just don't say anything that's going to tick him off too much. Uh, so you're not going to have to worry about that sort of thing. So next question. This is from Ruth. So uh, our, our dear friend Ruth. So if any of you have listened to the older episodes, when we do a science episode, at the very beginning, you hear a girl, a Scottish girl say, oh, I love science. This is This is our friend Ruth. This is the one who said that. She is. So she had a question for Emma. She said, I would like Emma to give a comprehensive review of American fast food. Oh, man. I love this question. I, yeah, so maybe I don't know if you got the hint that Ryan really loves Wendy's. Well, because it's the greatest. And, and yeah, whatever, whatever that is. Uh, he brought me there, obviously, at some point, And he was looking at me when I was eating this burger and yeah, it was fine. And I've never seen a person so much disappointed with me in, yes, <laughs> in yes. my life. Uh, yeah, I just don't... I'm not a great fan of fast food in general. It, look, okay. Okay, it's going to be it, very it, Yes, because it is always Our fresh. Our marriage is not going to survive. It, <laughs> because it's always fresh, never frozen. Apparently. And, uh, it, they made their own EP. I mean, they made their own rap album. Wendy's is one of the greatest inventions on God's green earth. And Emma Fine. didn't like it. Uh, but okay, um, I so, guess, I, I, I don't know. Um, yeah, fast foods are fine, but um, I, I, I don't know. You like Popeyes though. I do Popeyes because it's just the fastest thing that we can get where we, where we live right now. Yeah, but the spicy chicken sandwich craze. It's okay. I, well, okay. I don't even like spicy foods. Well, okay. While, while we were living in Scotland, this, like, phenomenon took over America, and people sure. were lined up, like, I mean, like, it was blocking traffic to try to get the spicy chicken sandwich. And you're just like, it's fine, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I just don't like um, this type of fast food. What I really like, I love kebabs, yes. It, but but where we are now, there's mm-hmm. no kebab shot, which no. really saddened me. That that is. Yes, yes. Yeah. That's that's that will be my f- fast food to go. But I don't know why in America. Well, in Philadelphia at least, I don't. I cannot speak for whole America. But this seems not being like any big take on on kebabs. No, because getting a cheeky kebab, it's it's very British. It's very European. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Whatever. No, I'm going to get a lot sorry. of hate mail. I'm going to be upsetting people. I don't want to Yeah, the amount of hate mail I'm going to get from this is. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's, I mean, the intern's going to have to read through all that. He's going to cry. And yeah. I'm going to have to console him. And that's. What's anyway, the name of the intern? Rodney. Name? Rodney's our intern. Well, he better cry. He's <laughs> he deserves a cry. He deserves a cry. All right, ne- next question. Next question. Chris is asking why do you think there is so much uncritical acceptance of timeless? At lay and the pastoral level. I, I thought this was a really good question. I don't have a good, clear answer. I think one of the main reasons why the natural starting assumption for a lot of Christians today is divine timelessness, I think it's because it's just been this story that's been repeated to us over and over and over again. And when you get to Einstein and the popularity of Einstein, we really have this idea that that supposedly the scientific story is that space and time began to exist that confirms what St. Augustine said, supposedly. So you just kind of have a lot of 
popularized science and uh, hundreds and hundreds of years of Christian slogans of divine timelessness just is the truth. When I, what I find fascinating, though, is when I go back and actually read Augustine, Augustine is very firmly committed to divine timelessness. But when he when he looks at the Bible, he says, yeah, it's, it's, the Bible only speaks of God in temporal terms. And he feels uncertain about how to deal with that. And so I find Augustine's level of confidence in timelessness interesting compared to a lot of contemporary people. Because Augustine's like, yeah, it's not in the Bible. Don't know what to do with that. But everybody today, they're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. It's scientific. It's biblical. It's 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 definitely what everybody and their mothers always believed, even though it's not true. But I think that's part of what's going on is the slogan has been repeated over and over again that God is timeless. And when you repeat something over and over again, it just becomes the truth. I think that's what's going on. Next question. Okay. This one comes from Jeff. Jeff asks, if an organism's behavior is motivated by survival and reproduction... How would God's behavior manifest since survival and reproduction, which I think were cursed in Genesis 3, don't seem germane to God? What emotions and actions would be different or non-existent? So let me just guess at what I think Jeff is saying here. So I think Jeff is saying that maybe something like this. So if you take the Adam and Eve story uh, like more literally, you've got them having this really robust kind of freedom. God's pretty angry. So when they, like, when they, when they sin against him... They rebel against God, and so God's like, all right, okay, you're cursed now. And then now, I, I, what I gather from this question, the idea is all biological organisms, the motivations for their actions are just simply survival and reproduction. So why would God get mad if, those, if, that's, their, if that's their motivations? Yeah, okay. To me, this is very interesting because uh, if I think about... so. So if we talk about every organism, mm-hmm. we talk about like literally anything. And I don't know why my, my thought going immediately to uh, a naughty cat. Okay, so you got, <laughs> a, you got a really bad cat. A really naughty cat. And he's like, all his behavior is motivated by survival and reproduction. No, I'm sorry. Everybody that owns a cat knows that his behavior is certainly not motivated by survi- survival or reproduction. It's just does thing because it's mean okay that's what cats do right <laughs> so i want to deny this entirely okay <laughs> so the- i understand here you want to take like the upper level of uh, evolutionary bio- biology um yeah. but i'm like no if i really observe nature i really want to deny this basic claim okay sometimes animals they just do things because it's fun and they have no further explanation so you should put this in account on whatever you're trying to feed in your um, thinking, right? I, I should think. Okay, so basically, I have a biologist here saying that <laughs> when you're looking at the... I'm a molecular biologist. A molecular biologist, right. So we, we usually don't interact with things. We just interact with... Um, Dead cells. Yeah, like very fundamental mechanism. <laughs> right. You're just looking at the foundations of biology, that's all. Yeah, you but know, I know not, nothing no about deal. behavior or anything. Right, but... So basically, you're wanting to say, though, that biology, when you're looking at biological organisms, you cannot reduce them down to the four Fs of feeding, like fleeing, fighting, or reproducing. No, I think you can, but I feel like sometimes we take these, uh, come up with uh, other strategies to see the world, Mm -hmm. and not just going to like, okay, what's the ultimate purpose if we sum up and average everything up? Sometimes it's so different from everyday experience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. just everybody has owned a cat. It was like, no, my cat is just crazy. It's just dumb. It just likes to do things yeah. for no no functional reason. Yeah. How that was going to fit into an uh, evolutionary biology, biology story. Right. I have no idea. And okay. I think that's what the fun is. Yeah. And you see all this contradictory story. They just go line up against the biology story that everybody wants to tell you. Like, yeah, the ultimate purpose of any organism is reproduction. Mm. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. If I just observe nature in a very like uh, home, small scale, yeah, I won't get that. I'm sorry. I really won't get that. So there you go. An evolutionary, no, no a <laughs> evolution from a uh, molecular biological perspective. I am not an evolution in biology, and yeah. I, just, I, just lo- I just love to push the boundaries. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. <laughs> All right, next question. This is from Ryan, uh, who you got to meet in Sicily uh, this summer. I did. Yes. 
then Ryan was was really cool to meet you. Yeah. So Ryan's got this question. He says, does God use telekinesis? Because sometimes divine action just sounds like God moving stuff with his mind. Uh, So, for example, like always acting at a distance, never making actual contact with stuff he works with. Some even make this part of their definition of omnipresence. But don't things need to be in close contact in order for action to take place? If so, maybe God's actions are not telekinetic. Yeah, I can see the um, dilemma here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good question, though, because it's like, how can you influence the world? But if you think about, you know, government influence narrative and influence people (laughs) Uh (laughs) without using any uh, physical interaction. Right. So I can see how God can do that very, very easily. Yeah, there's lots of ways to interact with the world. What what I love about this question is it actually it foreshadows uh, a lot of stuff we're going to do this next coming year on the show. Uh, so Greg uh, Greg Gansel just released a book called Divine Causation, uh, philosophical essays on divine causation. It's an edited volume, uh, and so I'm going to be editing. Or I'm going to be interviewing Greg about his uh, chapter in that book, which tries to address this question very specifically: Is do you need God to have like spatial and temporal location to really be able to act on things? I'd be happy with yes, um, but not everybody's happy with this. So, I, so for example, I just uh, did another Viva, another PhD defense with uh, in Birmingham, in England, with uh, Randy Everest, who successfully passed, brilliant, brilliant PhD dissertation on this topic. And so he's trying to push back and say, maybe we don't need to have God like actually spatially located in order to interact with stuff because that might lead to pantheism. And so Andre Bukharev, who we had on the show ages ago, he argues this case going, if God really does physic- like interact with physical objects, God's going to have to be temporally and spatially located. And Andre wants to go, so therefore pantheism. And I want to go, whoa, <laughs> hang on. I feel like uh, um, maybe a temporal location is important. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like you need to be bound to a special, sp- spatial location. That's what Descartes would say. Some days of the week, I'm totally happy with that. Mm-hmm. Other days of the week, I'm like, eh, who cares? If God's spatially located, why not? Uh, it doesn't mean I'd be rejecting a claim from Descartes, which is no, fine. No, it's fine. I don't think it's like spatial location is necessary. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like I can interact with the war without, with, without being there. Right. Like physically being there. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, I, I bet like the technology we have now is pretty, pretty advanced. And I feel mm-hmm. like God is probably like, much better than, than what we have now uh, so I feel like uh, if we can be can go beyond the special um, interaction mm-hmm. so can he <laughs> or she whatever I guess yeah I guess God's gonna be a step or two ahead of us I mean I guess that's a safe inference to make no next question this comes from David Anzalone who we've had on the show in the past I love this question this is such a good question this is a questio disputate uh, whether God can speak Italian. It seems that God is not able to speak Italian. He has no physical hands. And to speak Italian, one must use his hands. However, speaking Italian is a perfection. Thus, the God of traditional theism is not perfect. I really struggle to go against this. <laughs> <laughs> you really have to take me through this uh, to dispute these things. I, I mean, I don't... I mean, I don't know how to. Do, so okay, right? So if, it just just sounds so so perfect. It's very obvious. It's a it's a mm-hmm. really airtight argument. So if we're doing perfect being theology, we're gonna say that God has all the great making properties. Those are properties that are better to have than not have. Speaking Italian, that's clearly, without a doubt, a property that is better to have than not have. <laughs> Absolutely. But that just logically entails that you have to use your hands. So. Yeah, uh, traditional theism seems kind of screwed here. Yeah, it's a big problem. Yes. It's a big problem. Yes, it's a big problem. I mean, if if you you could say that maybe God like necessarily becomes incarnate, God has to become incarnate. Well, yeah, I mean, in order duh. to speak Italian, absolutely. Which I, mean, which I guess if it's not gesture, I don't, yeah. I, I would not understand any of that. I think it makes sense that <laughs> when Jesus came, it was during the Roman Empire. Oh yes, yes, yes. In order to instantiate this perfection, so absolutely. I think, I think, I think, David, David, uh, you're onto something here, and we look forward to hearing more about this very fascinating argument that you've, been, that you've developed. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right. Next question. Next question. Emma, read this one. Yeah. So um, this is from Chris. 
he writes, another one I'm curious about, reading or doing research. When you research, say, on classical theism or time, do you read everything start to finish? How have you gotten efficiency at studying? This is a, is a good question. My research habits have changed a lot from undergrad to my master's to my PhD and to now. So when I was starting out on, okay, when I start out any research project, any new research project, I definitely try to read stuff from start to start to finish because I don't know lots of things and, and I don't know what's important and I don't know what's unimportant. So everything seems important. I take very detailed notes, handwritten notes of pretty much everything I read. I've got this huge stack of notebooks I've collected over the years filled with all these notes. Yes, that's a problem when we move. Yes. Moving the stack of notebooks is just like a chore. It is a massive chore. I've taken these notebooks all across the world with me because I need my notebooks so I know what's I know where I so I've got access to all the stuff I've read. Uh, my mom offered to digitalize all of them years ago. I never took her up on that. and Maybe you should. May, yeah, I kind of regret this now. Here you go. Yeah. So anyway, when I'm doing a new research project, I do read everything start to finish. When I start to master a particular area, though, then I don't because you start to see a lot of repetition in ideas. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to keep keep like serious notes of all this sort of stuff. You can already see where the arguments are going to go. Sometimes I can start to read a book and go, this is garbage. I don't need to look at this anymore. Uh, and then some other stuff I can go, oh, wow, this is very important. I need to take very detailed notes. So at some point, you will hit a stage of re- recognizing you do not read, need to read everything start to finish. That's very interesting because uh, as a biologist, uh, we do not read books. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> because, okay, the, our field moves very, very fast. Yes. So the time a book it comes out is already very old because it would take years to a book for come out. So we just read articles. But the literature is incredible. You cannot keep up with the literature. There is like one article every, I don't know, every other hour you will find a new article on yeah. any biological topics you can think of. So it's, it's really, really difficult to keep up with everything. Um, but I agree with Ryan. Lots of articles are just mm, lots of repetitions. So you kind of get, if you really start to deep dive into a particular field, you will just get familiar with the same thing, the same literature, just getting like cited and repeated all over and over. Mm-hmm. So you were like, okay, I'll just skip all these parts and I'll just get to the juicy experimental things I'm really interested to yeah. and see how, they, uh, how that works. Um, but for me, what is really keep me up to date is more going to conferences than, yeah. than reading actual articles. Because that's where the real biology is uh, that is not being published yet. And is, you know, it, that's it's the cutting edge stuff that you really need to be on top of. I, I like that because one of the things we've tried to do on this show is keep people up to date on so when, okay, so when I travel around to these different conferences, sometimes I take my recording stuff with me so I can record interviews with people. A lot of the interviews we've done have been based on conference presentations. So when I go to conferences, I pay attention to who has a nice speaking voice, who can actually speak well and clearly, who has interesting ideas, and then there's someone I want to get on the show. So a lot of the stuff we've done on the show has been cutting edge, completely unpublished stuff. Yes. Uh, so that you can kind of get an inside scoop of what's going on in the world. Yeah, because I think philosophy works in a very different place than biology. But like, if I will read a biology paper, I know that is four years ago work. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. I want to know what's happening right now, reading literature is not, but it's not going to be informative for mm-hmm. me. Yeah, whereas philosophy, we go really slow, so you're like... Yeah, when Ryan say, oh, we're still writing books, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. What kills me is when I when I go to like a New Testament conference, they'll, they'll talk about like, well, the current literature says this, and they'll be citing stuff from the 1970s, and, and I'm like... Wow. Yeah, I know, and like and they'll be like, you know, like someone said, I'm like, I'm like, that scholar died like a decade ago, but this is the new cutting edge stuff. I'm like, come on, come on. So, so yeah, different academic disciplines move at different paces. I know it's amazing. It just like looking at different fields is really open you up to a completely different worlds, and it's just so cool. I love it. I love it. 
It's the joy of interdisciplinary research. Mm-hmm. All right, next question. Next question. So Tyler says the convergence between metal and philosophy of religion. The episode with Han- oh <laughs> Mike Ranica. Yeah, Mike Ranica. Uh, the devil will wear Prada was fantastic. Oh, thank you so much, Taylor. We'd love to hear your thoughts on genre as a whole and where you see it going in the next 10 years. Ooh, goodness. Okay, so I don't know. I have no idea where it's going to go in the next 10 years. I have no idea. I cannot predict the future. No clue. One of the things I will say, though, so, okay, we've had a, a rough start getting here in Philly, but one of the great things about being in Philly is we have been able to go to an insane number of really oh good God. metal shows. Yes. Thank you, Philly, to host so many metal bands. Mm-hmm. That's been the save of, of me, honestly, being mm-hmm. here. Um, I'm like, we've been on so many shows, and we're going to go to see The Devil's Wear Brother in March. Yes, yes. So, oh, actually, no, sorry, in April. April, April, April. yeah. <laughs> so they're coming through with, uh, with Bleed From Within, uh, which uh, they're from Glasgow. They're uh, one of our favorite uh, Scottish it's metal my bands. My favorite band. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're going to see Bleed with, From Within and The Devil Wears Prada when they come back through. Uh, our, our feelings on the whole of the genre is okay there's a bunch of different subgenres, and we've really been enjoying a lot of deathcore a lot of uh, death metal and, and, and black metal because we've seen oh gosh we've all seen we've seen Brain of Sacrifice we've seen uh, Chelsea so Grimm Yacacia Strain Body yeah. Snatcher uh, Angel Maker Lorna Shore uh, Thy Art was murder. Thy Art is murder. That mm-hmm. was a brilliant show. That was a great show. Oh yes. my gosh, we have seen so but many great the bands. Last we, went we just went to see uh, Make Them Suffer. Make they're, them suffer. They're yeah, playing with Dayseeker and Bad yeah, Omens. That was a strange lineup. Yeah, but yeah, let's just leave it right we'll, there. Yeah, yeah, we'll leave yeah. it. We'll leave it there. We, make we, Them Suffer was good. We love Make Them Suffer. Yeah, we 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 are more like for um, I think. Um, that metal core mm-hmm. type of things. Yeah. No, was, too melodic is a bit if they out start, of our scope. <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they start singing too much, then it's... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, next next 10 years, no clue. One I of hope things, it's just getting better. I would hope it keeps getting better. Yes. One of the nice things is production quality keeps getting better. So a lot of smaller bands are able to put out really good sounding uh, albums, which is really nice to hear. I kept thinking you'd have more digital stuff going on, but that that just comes in waves. Like you see that sometimes, and then it comes and goes. So I, I really cannot predict what's going to happen over the next ten years. I just really hope that people will love to play instruments. Mm-hmm. I would be very devastated if people just decide to go completely digitals. Yes. Yeah. That would that. That, that would sadden me a lot. It would sadden me a lot. So I, I, here's a great case of this. So. You, okay, you have to be pretty nerdy to know this reference, but Mystique. Mystique plays the piano. She plays the keyboard. And what she a big thing she's famous for is she will she'll take like some random uh, death metal or hardcore album uh, and take a song and then she'll overlay it with her own kind of electronic uh, keyboards and whatnot to make it really interesting, much more better. She's done a lot of these kind of videos over the years. She recently joined a band called Earthcaller where she's doing these live performances. So it's not just her in a studio doing like some really crazy fun studio stuff. She's actually like, no, 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 I want to be there doing live music where I'm really playing my keyboard with these guys who've got their guitars, their drums and everything really going going at it. So a commitment to actually playing instruments. That's a, I, I don't think that's going to go away. I, I think there's something very human about wanting to do real live musical instruments. Who knows? Who knows, Ryan? We'll we see. were debating the other day about these bands, Korean bands, like K-pop bands mm-hmm. that are completely like uh, uh, made up. Mm-hmm. Um, entirely virtual. Yeah, entirely virtual bands. And they seems, and if you listen to the sounds, you would not know that that's like a computer playing to you. That's so true. who knows? I'm curious about the future. Uh, I want to <laughs> make a prediction that that is a fashion trend that will not catch on. We will see in we will 10 see. years' time. I'll put my credence. Let's go for the next question. Okay, next question. Fine. Okay, Emma, read this one. David writes, what hair products do you use? This is for Ryan because Emma's hairs are cool, I guess. But Ryan's, wow. <laughs> so, David, acknowledging the obvious that my hair is glorious and amazing. <laughs> so I use... You have no idea how much <laughs> his ego went up with this question. It's like through the roof. I need to open the window right now. 
flattery will get will get you everywhere. Um, so so yeah, I, I use uh, this Australian brand called Eleven. Uh, their sea salt spray. So it's 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 just enough to give you some volume and to make my hair like stand out and be a little bit weird, but also stay in place if I need it to. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Okay. Next question. So Than, I went on a show a while ago. He asks, "Does God like screamo music?" Hell yeah. You want to say yeah? I want to say no. Oh, why not? Because when it gets too sing-songy, too whiny, clean vocals, God does not like too much clean vocals with metal. There's a balance, and Screamo goes beyond that balance, and so God's like, no, everything in proportion, and you've lost the proportion. True, but I feel like is I feel I imagine God as a very tolerant guy, and what makes people happy, he will be happy about that. Screamo music makes a lot of people happy. It makes a lot of people happy. But earlier we talked it won't about make me happy, but it's okay. <laughs> but earlier we talked about God having the emotion of annoyance, and I think this is one where he's like, "I'll tolerate it," but I'm slightly. You're projecting here. I maybe I'm projecting. projecting. I'm projecting. Okay, fine. Next question. <laughs> so E. Martin, he has a few questions for us. He says, "I've got a few for you. Uh, who will be? Oh, sorry. Who will the Eagles beat in the Super Bowl this year? I have no idea. No clue. We don't I, follow. I, I just found out about American football, like literally." Since I lived in America, which was less than only a year now, yeah, less than a year ago, so no clue. And Ryan is not into sports. Yeah, if it was about sorry, if it was about soccer or oh yeah, I know everything about yeah. About I football. hate the way people call soccer it's football. I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's just, I'm not going to this. But yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, so the next question that you Martin asks is, do you listen to any Christian metal bands like Demon Hunter or Fit for a King? And if so, how do you feel about them? So, Fit for a King, I listen to every now and then. Demon Hunter, I never really got into, primarily because of a, a stubborn hangover from when I was a teenager. So, I I was really into this band called uh, Training for Utopia. I really liked wh- where they were headed, and they broke up, and a bunch of those guys turned into the band now we call Demon Hunter. And so I was just like, no. You ruined a really good band. You ruined, ruined a cool thing. I'm not listening to what you guys are up to. Whereas when I've heard a few of their songs, I'm like, okay, it's actually pretty cool. But no, you ruined Training for Utopia. So Demon Hunter, no. Screw you. Don't like you. Next question from me, Martin. Do you have any plans to come to the Dallas-Fort Worth area? And if so, where are we going to dinner? I don't know the next time I'm coming to Dallas. Oh, but Dallas, Texas? Dallas, Texas. I, I definitely want to go to a barbecue. Yeah. Yeah, that's, so, that's all I want. <laughs> yeah, just barbecue. So wherever the best brisket and best barbecue is, that's where we're going. That's where yeah. we're going for dinner. No question asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easy. Next question. If you could assign metal songs for each of the ten following Christian philosopher, what would they be? Okay, so Andrew's asking this question. Okay. Oh my God, be ready for this. Okay. This is a long one. So the first one is Origin. Okay, Origin of Alexandria. Uh, I can't really do songs, but I can do bands that I think these people would listen to. So I am fairly certain Origin of Alexandria would probably listen to Ocean's 8 Alaska. Because it's this sort of like weird, like cosmic uh, kind of feel to it. And like the sort of sci-fi sort of nonsense. That feels like what yeah, Origin's going to be up to. Definitely. Um, Augustine. I don't know why, but I kind of, ex- I kind of expect uh, Augustine to listen to Opeth. Because I, I can just kind of imagine him trying to justify to me that this, this sort of like seemingly listlessness of the songs. He, I, I can see him just going like, Ryan, I swear the song's actually going somewhere. I just realized I went very tired on Augustine. Yeah, you went, <laughs> I, I was expecting him to be like, Augustino, Augustino. Yeah, yeah, I'm so sorry. So <laughs> next one is Boethius. So Boethius. Uh, I don't know why, but I'm just thinking like Boethius, because he's like the end of the antiquity, the beginning of... The Middle Ages. So I'm just kind of expecting him to listen to like some really old school Metallica. Next one is Anselmo. Anselmo, Anselm. So Anselm's British. So I'm going to say he's probably listening no to... No way, he's British. Yeah, Anselm of Canterbury. I got this so wrong. Well, it's because you guys Italianize all the, <laughs> all the names. So I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so Anselm of Canterbury is British. So yeah, so I'm, I'm guessing he's going to be listening to Bring Me the Horizon. Classic. Mm-hmm. Luis de Molina. So, Molina, uh, there is a possible world where Molina is at a Chelsea Grin concert right now. And we will be there. And we would be there right with him. <laughs> Alvin Plantaniga. So, Plantaniga. Uh, so, apparently, Plantaniga listens to, like, really weird stuff. 
so kind of like when Freddie Mercury from Queen went off the rails and just tried to do his own thing. Like, um, I, those things are wild. Yeah, this is what I've been told is planning to listen to stuff like this. <laughs> Richard Swinburne. Swinburne? Okay, so I'm going to put it at a 0.6 probability <laughs> that... <laughs> Because Swinburne's always doing his Bayesian calculus. <laughs> so I'm going to put it at 0.6 probability that Swinburne is a big fan of old school Briti- like British punk. Yep. So I'm just expecting him, since he's super English, I, he's probably going to be listening to like old school Sex Pistols back in the day. William Asker. So Hasker. Uh, I, I don't know why. I just imagine Hasker listening to Cradle of Filth. These kind of well, because <laughs> it's because these like there's these really long, drawn out songs that are often open ended. Open and see what oh, I did. Oh, see, we got there. Oh, gosh, so many layers in this. Okay. Anyway, sorry. That was terrible. That was terrible. Catherine Rogers. So, Kate, um, so when I met Kate finally in person, got to meet her in person uh, this summer, she, she was giving me, uh, giving off these kind of like classic rock vibes. So, I'm just kind of guessing Led Zeppelin or Rolling Stones, something like this. That's fair. Mm hmm. William Lane Craig. Okay. So, so Craig lives in, in Atlanta or Hotlanta, if you will. And I have it on good authority that William Lane Craig is a huge fan of I Wrestled a Bear Once. So apparently Craig is a huge fan of math metal and grindcore. So so when I was in Atlanta, uh, I went to the Masquerade, which is a very popular venue in Atlanta. And I was seeing the Dillinger Escape Plan. And I bumped into Craig there. He was there wearing a I, I Wrestled a Bear Once uh, shirt at the Dillinger Escape Plan show. So Craig... Huge, huge fan of math, metal, and grindcore. Sounds about right, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, next question. Um, so, we have this guy, Empty Disc, mm-hmm. is asking, what about being a mutated rat made Splinter such a good mentor to the teenage mutant ninja turtles? Ooh. Okay, so we talk about mutated ninja turtles over here. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so rats... They're wise. And Are they? Well, at least in the Chinese folklore, they always put them as wise. Okay. In America, we just think like these overgrown monstrosities that are on the subway. Oh my god, they're huge! I never see, I never, I never see a rat as big as as when I went, when I was in New York City. Oh gosh. Those yeah. things are massive. Were way worse than the London rats. Yeah. 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 When I this was a few years ago. Oh my god. I was on a different speaking tour that was called the uh, Three Days of Evil speaking tour. Uh, so I was, in, I was in New York City for two days. And my friend Amy Seamer, who's a philosopher at Fordham, she took me to Central Park. And she's trying to run some argument by me. And whenever I'm with Amy, like we get super fo- focused on the arguments because two philosophers nerding out. And at okay. some point I was like, we got to stop and, and, and comment on this giant family of rats that are just like casually walking by in the middle of the day because those things, like they're going to steal your baby. I mean, they're like, they're giant. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, absolutely. You just go to New York City and you're in Southern Park. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then you have these rats that just don't care of yeah. you being there. Mm-hmm. Actually, they look at you and like, what are you doing in my turf? Yes. I mean, how dare you yeah you, you're crossing my road and i think this brings they, up they have ownership there. they do they and this really and this and so if you're thinking in terms of a wise animal that is just has this, this sort of look at like they will have like mm-hmm. the look at you be like the audacity of you to try to step into my territory yeah who else would be the perfect mentor for some mutated teenage turtles who are and train them to be ninjas that's that's Totally fine to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes perfect sense. Totally okay. Sense. Next question. So Anthony is up is asking about the role that middle knowledge plays in a Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. So Christmas Carol, classic, classic story. Uh, so in a Christmas Carol, uh, uh, the character Scrooge at some point he's asked, he's presented with all these different ghosts and whatnot, and he sees all these possible futures, and so he asks the ghost. Are these the things that will be or the things that could be? And so William Lane Craig has several essays where he's written on middle knowledge and Molinism where he, he quotes this uh, and uses this as an, a case for middle knowledge. One of the things that's interesting, though, is that you could also have an open theist come along and go, well, well, this fits an open theist story because these are all the possible like ways things could go. Uh, depends on what Scrooge is up to and what, what he decides. 
so yeah, there's, I, I, so so William Lane Craig wants to go when he stops listening to math metal and grindcore. He wants to say a Christmas Carol perfectly fits with Molinism, whereas I could easily imagine Greg Boyd, an open theist, going, no, 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 this actually fits with open theism. <laughs> so philosophy of literature, yeah, doing crazy go. stuff. Next question. So Amy. Amy, who I don't think actually listens to this show, uh, but happened to see the, the the debate on Twitter, she said, which circling vulture gets to decide that it's time to go down and eat? And how do they know they've accumulated enough lunch buddies? Oh, the hungriest one. That's Just obvious. Hungry? Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, the one who's really annoyed and very hungry, like mm-hmm. me. Yeah, getting hangry. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely, that yeah. one. That makes sense. All right, next question. Um, okay, Zatan. Zatan or Zetan? Not sure. Um, mm, we're not know. sure. Is asking is idealism a good path for establishing an ontology about God? Also, which is your favorite argument for God's existence? Thanks for all your work. Oh, thank you for oh, thank, this is sweet. Thank you for acknowledging all the hard work that I put into this. So, idealism. Uh, I go back and forth with this. So, idealism at its most fundamental says mind is more fundamental in reality than matter. Uh, And every version of theism is going to say that if you've got God at rock bottom of reality. So that's fine. But the interesting forms of idealism, the ones that we actually care about and write home about, are the ones where there isn't any actual physical objects. There's no material objects. There's just minds and their impressions. And that stuff I just find super weird. I find crazy. And I want to go, is that really a good like worldview to have? And I want to go, no. But fun fact, here's what you'll see in this in this, this coming year. So my friend, my friend uh, Sam Liebens, who we've had on the show, uh, we w- did three episodes on his book on the uh, principles of Judaism. Sam has an interesting argument where he says, him and Tyrone Goldschmidt, they want to say, give us any attribute any common attribute from theism, and we'll give you an argument to idealism. I've got a forthcoming paper going, no, that's crazy. You guys are nuts. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and Sam is going to respond to me. So we're going to have a debate about this uh, in the journal Philosophia Christi. Uh, you can also see a preview of that debate in the, uh, for, uh, the uh, what is it, the uh, Society for the Philosophy of Judaism on their website. They've got a symposium on Sam's book where Sam and I give you a little teaser for that so you'll see some of these debates in more detail soon nice yeah lot to look forward all right final question this is from tom ord uh, who's been on the show before and he will get a forthcoming episode with him we love tom tom always great we've got still got the picture you 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 gave us of uh, these wild yes, horses it's up that you in took. our living room it's yeah amazing because for all those who don't know you probably do know tom is a nature photographer because when he's walking around in nature he loves to take pictures and so we got this great picture of these wild horses running around uh, that my mom almost stole from me because she yeah, loves horses. Yeah, we were so close to never get mm-hmm. this. I almost didn't hand. get this thing because yeah. Tom sent it to my mom's place instead of us. Uh, so, yeah. So Tom is asking, which is better, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You or George Michael's Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart? I mean, I'm not even questioning this. This is like the queen of Christmas. The queen of Christmas. Mariah Carey. Now, okay, I don't know if you saw this recent interview with, <laughs> with Mariah. You did, where she denied the title. She said, I well, she had, she's been forced because apparently there's like a kind of a lawsuit going in there. Um, there was a lawsuit. She Water tried, was very mad at there. She yeah. claimed like a copyright for being the queen of Christmas. She got denied. She got it. denied it. But in my heart, in she your- is the queen of Christmas. <laughs> so she, she changed her story after she got denied. And she said the true queen of Christmas is Mary, the mother of Jesus. All right. That's so, fine. That's fine. We we'll allow that. We'll allow that. So you <laughs> want to go with Mariah Carey saying that's that's the one. Uh, yeah. It's just an uplifted song. It that's is. what we need those days. It is. I, I want to be contrary and go with George Michael, but I can't. No, you cannot. I cannot. I'm sorry. Because when I worked at Barnes & Noble as a teenager, I worked in the uh, uh, this bookstore, the music department, and as the day after Thanksgiving, as soon as Black Friday hit, until... New Year's Day, we would play Now That's What I Call Christmas. We would play that album, and we would have George Michael's Last Christmas I Gave You My Heart on repeat, nonstop, throughout my entire shift, every day, 
and it's on my nerves and i cannot stand it anymore i can feel the scar from yes here. <laughs> i am emotionally <laughs> scarred by this and i will be for the rest of my life I'm sorry so george michael i would like to go with you but i can't i'm sorry so mariah carey yay all i want for christmas is you there you go <laughs> there we go so everyone thank you so much for listening to another year of the reluctant theologian podcast this has been the year of desolation holiday extravaganza we'll have a brand new year coming very soon with a whole host of interviews with all sorts of people on the problem of evil on death on suffering lots of very dark grim stuff but also atonement uh, life after death uh, disability theology communion all sorts of fun amazing awesome things Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again in the new year. And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes on philosophical theology. 